Well, hey, guys. It's uh, so good to be back here. I think this is my third or fourth time here this year. Uh, so I'm getting to come, like, enough where I'm sort of that, that old uncle who comes to things that he wasn't really invited to, and he says corny jokes, and he doesn't really get your cultural references. Uh, but, man, I'm honored to be your old weird uncle. So if you'll have me, Sanctuary, can I be your weird old uncle? Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so we're in this series called Broken Pulpit, and I love the concept of this series. The idea is that uh, we want to examine where the church has gotten it wrong and how we uh, can help be a part of making the church healthier, uh, what it was intended to be. And, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, I had the rare chance of going on a date night with my wife. Uh, my mom was in town, and so she watched our two kids, and we got to go on a date night to San Francisco. And as I was choosing a restaurant, uh, what do you think was the first thing I did to choose a restaurant? Yelp. Yelp. Nailed it. Yes. Like every normal person these days, uh, the first place I went, I consulted with Yelp. Uh, any restaurant activity that I do, uh, I go to Yelp. That's who I go to. And it's so weird because in the old days, there wasn't a Yelp. Like you had to uh, ask a real person to get like a recommendation or maybe you'd drive around and you'd look to see who had the best sign or who, who had a cool building or even worse, there's these things. You guys won't remember these, but they were called Yellow Pages. And it was like this 15-pound book that uh, would get dropped on your driveway, and you'd had to, you had to look through these yellow pages, and you'd just have to pick a restaurant out of the yellow pages. It was a horrible time to live, and I don't know how we did it. But now we have Yelp. And I think Yelp is so interesting because anybody can rate an establishment and influence an establishment uh, regardless of their training or their credentials. And, and this just in, people are weird. And so you get a lot of weird Yelp reviews. So I want to give you the gift tonight of showing you some of my favorite weird Yelp reviews, okay? So let's look at uh, the first one together. Okay, so I love this one. Uh, one star, don't try the pizza. It's so good. You'll come back every day. It completely ruined my social life each night. I only want to go there. I hate this place. One star. I don't think he understands how the star system should work. Okay, let's go to the next one. And if this is, this is Jenny from San Francisco, if you're here, Jenny, I apologize. Um, so I thought about whether, this one just confuses me. Uh, one or two stars, considering I would not want to come back here, even if I was on a carriage drawn by 100 horses with a swarm of bees chasing me. One. And my reaction is, when is the last time you've been on a carriage? And then if you can go below the red box, she actually says, some dishes were quite good. The food was innovative. But you just said the thing about the bees and the carriage. What's the deal? Okay, the next one, this will just make you mad. So this is like a Michelin-rated restaurant. Uh, exceptional. Wait, well, food, of course, was exceptional. <laughs> I love that. Staff was giddy, very inappropriate for a haute cuisine joint, dressed in ill-fitting, mediocre suits. Vaguely rude. Vaguely rude? What does that even mean? <laughs> Self-absorbed, chubby. Come on, man. One star. Okay, this is my favorite one. This is the last one. I want you to guess. I'll just read some snippets. I want you to guess what this person is rating. Uh, so we went on a 10-day road trip, 
to the Western states, horribly, terribly, tragically disappointed. Uh, the Rangers were unfriendly and rude, but I can hardly blame them because of the remarkable idiocy we witnessed. Uh, triple part tourist. Uh, they were drinking tea from their parked car, hand-feeding wild moose. <laughs> I'll skip the next part. Uh, when we got to the car, the smell of sulfur nearly knocked my girlfriend off her feet, and the stench followed us through the day as it clung to our closing air. Can you guys guess what the, this person's rating? It was Yosemite National Park. One star for a crown jewel of our nation. How dare you, Yosemite, to smell of natural sulfur. It's just, uh, it cracks me up. It's so crazy because anybody can rate an establishment based on their own preferences or what they want. And I don't know if you know this, you can actually rate uh, churches on Yelp or on Google. You can rate a house of worship, one star, five stars. And maybe you're saying to yourself, man, I would never uh, do that. I'd never rate like a church. But maybe you've had a conversation, uh, something like this, where someone asks you, uh, how was church? And you go, ah, it was fine, but the sermon was too long. It was fine. The sermon uh, wasn't deep enough. It was fine. The music was, was too loud. The music was too soft. It was fine. The, the music was too emotional. It wasn't emotional enough. It was, an, it was great, uh, but people weren't friendly enough. It was good, but people uh, were too friendly. <laughs> they were in my face. Uh, I'm a worship leader at Mountain View, and literally one service, uh, I had someone come and complain to me about the volume of the music being too loud, and then another person come and complain about the volume being too soft. It was a really confusing situation for me to be in. Uh, if we're not careful, we can make church a part of our consumer culture. And church can become based on our preferences or what we want. And tonight we're talking about broken pulpit, how the church gets it wrong. And I want us to understand tonight, the, one of the main ways we get it wrong these days is we make church about us. And church is not about you. Church is not about me. It's about something so much bigger. And at the core of what the church is, is a community of people. It's a tribe of people. It's a gathering of people devoted to following Jesus. This is the core of what the church is. The church is not a business. It's not a building. It's not a corporation. The church is a community of people. So what we want to wrestle with tonight is, is this question. How should I engage in this community? How should I go about being a part of this community. And tonight we're going to look uh, to our model. We follow Jesus and we're going to go back to Jesus and see how he engaged with people. And so the rest of our time, I want to look at one of my favorite passages of scriptures. Uh, it's in Philippians 2, 3 through 8. So if you have your uh, Bible with you, your Bible app, or you can look on the screen, it's Philippians 2, 3 through 8. And it says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. 
And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So for the rest of our time, I want to highlight three things from uh, this scripture. Three things that uh, can help us change the way we view church. They can help us uh, approach church that it's not about us. And today, this message will be a little different than others. I don't want to give you uh, just something to do. Uh, Today's message is going to be about our attitudes and our mindsets. We want to be transformed to the mindset of Jesus. And so throughout this message, I want to ask you some questions to wrestle with to help you think about your attitude when it comes to this community, okay? So the first thing to highlight is this phrase that says, not looking to your own interest, but the interest of others. So I have a... uh, almost two-year-old son right now, and he does this thing lately uh, where he says this phrase, he's learning how to talk, and he says this phrase, dad, look, dad, look, dad, look, and I've got a picture, usually he'll say, dad, look, and he'll be doing something like that, he'll just be upside down, dad, look, and I'm like, oh, good job, buddy, and uh, a lot of times it's dad, look, and I'll look over there, and he's letting the dog just lick his face, I'm like, good job, good job, One of the hardest things about being a parent these days is I have this phone with me at all times. And this phone uh, can accommodate all of the interests that I have, all the extremely important interests, uh, like my fantasy football team, uh, checking IMDB, all these important kind of interests, they're available on my phone, on my hand. And I'm a little ashamed to admit but sometimes I'll find myself checking these important interests of mine, and I'll hear my son say, Dad, look, Dad, look, Dad, look. And I, I just tune him out for a little bit because I'm like, i got to check my fantasy score. Hold on, <laughs> it's really important. Dad, look, Dad, look. And I'm so focused on my own interests myself uh, that I miss what's going on over there. Maybe finally I'll turn and I'll look at him, and then when I finally look at him, He's just got the biggest smile on his face. I'm so absorbed in my own things that I risk missing this moment to connect. Because here's the thing. My son in that moment, all he wants is to be seen. He wants me to look at him and share with him what he's doing. He wants me to be with him and connect with him in that moment. That's all he wants. And people in this community... And people in our world, they all want to be seen. They all want to connect and be shown that people and that God have an interest in them. And the risk we all have is we can live our our day-to-day life focused on our own interest. And as we focus on ourselves, we miss those around us. There's this great uh, quote from the book uh, Social Intelligence 
The author writes, self-absorption in all its forms kills empathy, let alone compassion. When we focus on ourselves, our world contracts as our problems and preoccupations loom large. But when we focus on others, our world expands. Our own problems drift to the periphery of the mind and so seem smaller, and we increase our capacity for connection or compassionate action. Self-absorption kills empathy and our capacity for connection. When we look at the original church, the church that was formed, this community that formed after Jesus left the earth, we see this in Acts. Acts says this about that first community. They shared everything and nobody was in need. This is the opposite of self-absorption. This was a community focused on each other not themselves. This is the opposite of our consumer culture and our Yelp culture. So some questions I want to pose to you that I want you to wrestle with as we try to shift our attitude and our mindset about what church is. Some questions to ask yourself, am I blind to the needs of others because I'm focused on my own interest? Do I see the others in this community? Or do I just come, get what I need, and then get out? Do I treat the church like a drive-through where I sort of get my music, say hi to my friends, and then I get out? Are there people in this community or the community at large who are lacking, who have need? How can I open my eyes to see them around me? So the first thing to help us shift to the mindset of Jesus is we look to the interest of others, not ourselves. The second phrase I want to look at is this phrase, uh, he made himself nothing. Jesus made himself nothing. You and I, we live in Silicon Valley, uh, a place that people travel across the world uh, in order to make something of themselves, to climb uh, the proverbial ladder to increase their status. Uh, a great summary of this culture that we live in comes from the, uh, the theologian and uh, philosopher Notorious B.I.G. He says, as, as I leave my competition respirator style, climb the ladder to success escalator style. Uh, quick side note. Uh, <laughs> Quick side note, how many of you know who Notorious B.I.G. is? Interesting. I talked to somebody this morning at our Mountain View campus, and I said, hey, pretty cool. I'm going to use a quote from Notorious B.I.G. at Sanctuary. And they were like, you're just really old. They're not going to know who Notorious B.I.G. is. And I was like, these people are cultured. They will know what it is. So I win. Boom. <laughs> That's weird. Uh, whether... <laughs> Whether it's in our job, our organization, or our social circles, we all want to climb. We all want to increase our status. And the thing is, this is not a new concept. It's not just uh, now. Uh, hierarchies have existed since humans have existed. And hierarchies existed uh, in Jesus' day. See, uh, people thought the Messiah 
was supposed to be a conquering king. Everybody thought the Messiah would come and climb the ladder and be a conquering king. And in turn, the nation of Israel would climb and become the greatest nation. But Jesus, in the greatest shock of all time, did the exact opposite of what people thought. Jesus started as the king of kings, and he came and he climbed down the ladder. He went the opposite direction. He climbed all the way down. He humbled himself all the way to death. And not just any death, the death of a criminal. A death on the cross was, was reserved for the lowest rung. It was a shameful, humiliating death. And Jesus shows us what true humility is. It's to spurn our own status and to view others as greater than ourselves. And here's the thing. When church is healthy, uh, everyone is on equal ground. There's no ladder in this community. Uh, your, your status doesn't matter. Your degrees don't matter. Your position, your past, uh, good or bad. Your future, good or bad. Your knowledge or lack of knowledge of Scripture. We are all on equal footing here. You know, some churches will tend to elevate the role of a pastor, uh, the reverend, a priest. And uh, in a healthy church, we remember that we are all sinners saved by grace. We're all on equal footing. Uh, Jesus' disciples were having an argument of who would be the greatest disciple. And Jesus says this to them. He says, the least among you will be the greatest. And, and this is how it is in Jesus' upside-down kingdom. If you want to be great in the kingdom of Jesus, you climb down the ladder, not up. So some questions for you to wrestle with as you uh, seek to have your attitude changed to the one of Jesus. Uh, what labels do I need to forget about and leave behind in this community? Are there things in my past that make me feel uh, superior? Are there things in my past that make me feel inferior, some things I've messed up with? We're all on equal footing here. How can I make myself nothing? How can I humble myself? All right, let's go to the, the third phrase we want to highlight here, and that's uh, we see that Jesus took on the nature of, of a servant. Uh, quick question. How many of you have worked in the service industry or currently do? Waiter, waitress. Yeah, yeah. So I used to work at Starbucks. I've got an awesome picture. Yep. What's funny about that? I don't get it. I'm just kidding. I get it. I get it. Uh, I worked at Starbucks uh, for a couple of years, and working in the service industry, if you didn't raise your hand, if you've never done this, uh, man, it can be a hard and a sometimes demeaning job. There was one time when I worked at Starbucks, uh, a lady, I didn't know that this happened, a lady had asked to borrow a pair of scissors from a coworker, and it was my turn to clean the bathrooms. And I went into the bathroom, and this lady had decided to make the Starbucks bathroom her personal salon. And I had to clean it. There was just hair everywhere. It was the weirdest thing. It was the grossest thing ever. And I had to clean that up. It was just demeaning and gross. 
Uh, being in the service industry, you have to uh, treat people with kindness, even if they say ridiculous things. Uh, there's one uh, time a person pulled through the drive-thru at Starbucks, and we were in Oklahoma, and the guy said, uh, yeah, I'll take one of them uh, caramel machetes. <laughs> And yeah, that was my reaction. And we, we're all listening on the headphones, and we're just like, and I want to be like, trust me, sir, you do not want me to get you a caramel machete through the drive through window. Um, there are people who wanted their lattes at exact temperature, and if you got it wrong, they'd send it back. They wanted exact weight. If you didn't get it right, you have to send it back. The service industry and being a servant... Uh, is hard work. It can be demeaning. The, the, even the word servant is an uncomfortable word in our day. It's a little politically incorrect, the idea of a servant. But at the end of Jesus' life, uh, he had his disciples gathered around him, and he began washing their feet. He took a towel that he was wearing, he started washing their feet. And washing feet was a, a job reserved for servants in those days. Feet are gross. This is common knowledge. But feet were really gross in those days because people wore sandals. They would walk everywhere they went. And Jesus starts washing the disciples' feet. And Peter says, no, no, you can't wash my feet. I won't let you. And Jesus says this uh, phrase. He says, the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. Jesus reveals the nature of God. The very nature of God is one of a servant, one who serves others. And then Jesus says to the disciples, this community, he says to us as a community, he says, now that I've washed your feet, wash one another's feet. He calls us to servanthood, to pick up our towel and to serve others. And in this community, uh, there's going to be things that seem beneath you at times. And Jesus is calling you to take up your towel and serve others. At a previous church, uh, there's a good friend of mine who is a CFO uh, of a, a really big company, very su successful guy. And every Sunday morning, uh, no matter where he had been traveling to, uh, what kind of big meetings he was in, he would come to church and he would put on this silly traffic vest and he would go out in the parking lot and he would uh, point people to, to their parking spots. And this was in Chicago, uh, in the middle of winter, snowing, he'd be there, he'd do it. And I talked to him about it one time and he said he just loved the idea of people not seeing him as anything bigger. He loved serving the community. Uh, there in uh, Mountain View at our campus, there's a group of people that for 10 years now, uh, different families rotate. They come in at 7:30 in the morning and they set up 500 chairs for the entire campus. And nobody knows that they do it. People walk in, the chairs are there, and they've been faithful for 10 years now. These are well-to-do people, and they come and they serve their community. So the question for us is: is how can I approach this community like a servant? How can I help, even if things seem beneath me? What is needed in this community that nobody else is doing? Those are some questions to wrestle with. Now, 
our camp or our campus, our senior pastor uh, told this story a few weeks ago. You might have heard it, but it's just been rolling around in my brain as of late. And it's a story about the former president of Pepsi. Her name was Indra Nui. And uh, the day she became president of Pepsi, she writes about it in her book. Uh, she came home from getting this promotion, and she came home, and her mom told her to go get some milk that they had run out. And Indra tried to interrupt and tell her the big news, but her mom insisted Uh, They were out of milk. She needed her to go run this errand. So Indra did it. Uh, She got the milk, but when she came back, she was was livid. And she said, do you realize you just asked the president of Pepsi to go fetch milk for you? This was the big news that I wanted to share. And her mom said this phrase that's just etched in my brain. She said, when you come home, you leave that crown in the garage. When you come home, leave that crown in the garage. See, Indra, uh, her real identity in that family was, uh, she was a mother. She was a daughter, and she was a wife. Her job as a president, Fortune 500 company, that wasn't her real identity. She had a role to play in the family. And you and I, uh, when we decide to enter into this community, We are entering into a family. This is a family bigger than you. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than Menlo Church. It's bigger than the American church. This is a family that spans across the globe, across generations, and we have a role to play in it. And so my challenge to you guys in this community is to find your role. Sometimes these are official type roles, uh, like you can be a part of the greeting team, the, I don't know what all the names of these things are, hospitality team, people make coffee and food, there's worship and production. Uh, these are sort of official roles that you can serve in this community. And starting point is coming up. This can be a way for you to learn about these opportunities and how to have an official role in this family. But sometimes these roles aren't official Maybe you have the gift of encouragement. And we need you to play this role in this family. There's people that need encouragement in your small group or in this group that need you to play that role. Uh, Maybe you're just a great connector. Man, I'm an introvert. I hate getting out of my house. Some of my best friends are the people who drag me out of my house. You need people that are going to connect others. You need to find your role in this group. So this is what we're going to do here in a second after I pray. We're going to sing a song. And as we sing this song, what I'm going to ask you to do is not make this a routine song. I want you to make this a prayer. As we sing these words, more like Jesus, I want you to think about this community uh, that we've all been placed in. I want you to think about how you can look to the interest of others more than yourself. How you can humble yourself and make yourself nothing and how you can become a servant. And as we do this, we can change the way we approach this community. We can turn it from a consumer culture type thing into the way of Jesus to a part of his kingdom. So I'm going to pray and we will respond in worship.
Father, we thank you for giving us a place to be with others. A place to remember uh, that we are all broken, that we are all messy, that we come from all kind of circumstances, uh, but you've given us a place to connect and belong. Father, I ask that right now that in each of our hearts you would stir something. Show us how to change our attitude, change the way we look at things, change our minds, transform us so we can see what this thing is all about. Would you remind us uh, every day that this deal is not about us? Would you give us courage to find our place? Give us courage to step out, to serve. Would you open our eyes to the people around us who are in need? We thank you for this time. We ask right now that your spirit will work in our hearts. Show us how we can be more like our Savior Jesus. It's your name we pray. Amen.